New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. Hello, I'm Justine Willis-Toms, and today I'm hosting Apricot Irving. She's an agricultural missionary's daughter who grew up in her formative years in Haiti, and she's the author of The Gospel of Trees, a memoir. Apricot, welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. So this is a memoir, so you've really written very intimately about growing up really from the time you were six years old to 15 years old in this other culture in Haiti, other culture from the U.S., and growing up with your parents, your two younger sisters. Talk about writing a memoir about your family and the process of that. And they're all living and they're all reading it, so please Talk about that, please. Yes, it's taken me a long time to do this. It's been a 15-year journey um, with some significant time off in the middle to do other projects. But I feel really grateful now for the time that I was allowed to have conversations with my family, to go from being in my mid-20s and no children of my own to being a mother and holding those memories, those questions differently now that I have children of my own. Um, I didn't want to write this book as a memoir. I'm a reluctant memoirist, and I wanted to tell the story of this strange and extraordinary and difficult and admirable and uh, heartbreaking disappointing missionary compound that I'd grown up on, this missionary hospital. And I wrote a line uh, early in the process that was, this is not my story. And I felt really safe behind that sentence. I didn't want to tell it as my story. But the closer you are to something, the more detail you can bring to it. And so first there was the story of this missionary hospital. But then as I wrote, and as I asked my parents for any souvenirs we'd held on to from our years in Haiti. It had been 10 years about since we'd even talked about it really in depth. And my dad dragged out of the barn these musty boxes full of old cassette tapes that we had recorded our impressions of Haiti and mailed back to the grandparents uh, before we could have phone calls. What a treasure trove. Oh my goodness. And kid letters and drawings and toys and... And until I dumped it all out on my floor once I got home, I didn't realize that my dad had also given me his journals. So then I had his journals, which were these tiny, terse pencil scratchings in the size of a daily planner. You know, in one little cubic inch, he would write down a whole day's uh, most pressing moments. And then I had that to layer against my own teenage journals in 
teal and pink ink with the <laughs> eyes dotted with the hearts. <laughs> and they couldn't have been more different from each other. And we fought so much when I was a teenager. And so I felt a, a deep distance between my father and myself. I didn't let him walk me down the aisle when I got married. There, I was not going to repeat any of his mistakes. <laughs> and, you, and you write about that in the book, that push and pull and tug between you and your father. Yeah. And so having his journals to set next to my own, I began to see Haiti through his eyes for the first time. And it was really transformative because I had my own perspective that I had lived. But suddenly to be allowed in to someone else's perspective and I had this journal so that I could say, hey, dad, tell me about this story. Or, you know, I had one day where we would each write about the same events and they were very, very different in the things that they noted. You know, on the day that my dad talked about all of this upheaval in the town, it was a time of military coups and there were houses being set on fire. There was the former police captain's gun had been stolen and his vehicle set on fire. And, and I wrote the same day or one day apart, the moon is so beautiful through the trees and there's no one to share it with. Could anything be more terrible? <laughs> the absolute obliviousness of adolescence. And so part of this long, slow process was developing some compassion for myself as a younger narrator that we don't tend to go with to our journals with our best moments. We tend to go to our journals with our really tormented ones, the ones that we're later ashamed of, and that was certainly true in my case. And many years into the process, my mother decided to give me her journals as well, which was an extraordinary gift because then I had a mother's perspective, worrying about her husband's loyalty, about the political situation, worrying about her daughters. I could see myself in a different light. And so it became a memoir in many voices. And I've done this in this long, slow process where I will write, I will go to the source documents, listen to the cassette tapes, draw in all of the interviews that I've done with many, many people over the years and write a scene and then give it to my family and say, does this feel accurate? We have to agree on the details and then keep revising, keep revising until it rings true to all of us. And it's been a really transformative process. These, these things that, how do you tell these stories? And yet here we are telling them and back in conversation about them in a way that was really hard. But I'm really grateful that I had the chance to do it. It would have been a very different book had I only written it from my perspective. And I think it would have been a far less nuanced one. Well, you're very fortunate that they are around that you could run it by them, that they gave you their journals and their tapes and stuff. That's very unique, actually, in memoir writing. Usually it's after the fact, and many times uh, parents or whoever we're writing about in our history, they're long gone. Their willingness to be vulnerable and allow me to tell this story is, is something that I admire profoundly. Or the other idea that... Even those who have written memoirs and they haven't had that extreme interaction that you've had to run it by everybody and to be willing to process that. And it's brought stories out into the air that I wouldn't have known otherwise. For example, there was a really difficult essay that I was writing 
climb the mountains. And I send it to my grandmother, my father's mother, just to say, does this feel too exposed, too vulnerable? And she was so gracious. She wrote back right away and said, you're telling it like it is. We all have regrets. Your father loves you. And she told me this story that I never heard before about her taking the bus up when I was a few weeks old and him rocking me in the middle of the night and singing to me. And I had brought her these really hard stories. And she gave me in return one to balance it, to counterbalance. So I hold both of those stories now, the memory of this beautiful moment and then memories of really hard moments. But to have both to weave together is a rich tapestry. Absolutely. And I I know that you write about how in working with your father and healing some of the difficulties that it's been easier for you both to do it in letters than it is in person. It's still true. (laughs) So I think there's something in that reticence of how... I don't know how he was raised to be a man in in the era that he was growing up in, that there were things that were not talked about. And yet he's a great letter writer, and he is able to say things on paper or on email that we do have very difficult, strained conversations with face-to-face. And so I'm really grateful for written words. I'm thinking how fortunate it is for you to be able to work that out with him in real time and he's alive and you're working and he is too. I mean, he's meeting you there. My heart is full Mm -hmm. to hear this because so many of us don't have that opportunity. I mean, I know for me, my father died when I was 12 years old suddenly. And so I have these memories And now my mother is gone, too. And I wish that I had asked her more questions and and really had this deep conversation. And so now I just pick up these bits and pieces of some letters that have been written and, and cousins that have gathered things from grandparents and things like that. And you start to pick up these pieces that give you another viewpoint. And I think it fosters resilience to know the ups and the downs and to be able to talk about them. That if we only tell the good stories, if we only tell the hard stories, we don't know how to hold all the in-between moments which happen throughout our lives. And I want my kids to know this is where you came from. This is your grandfather. This is your grandmother. These are all the questions I carry within me from the childhood I was given. This is what you've inherited from your ancestors. Thich Nhat Hanh writes that when we're complimented, we can say that's partly true. And that when we're criticized, we can also say that's partly true. This is something that I've inherited from my ancestors. And I'm in the process of redeeming it for them and for me. For them and for me. Yes, a beautiful, beautiful quote from Thich Nhat Hanh. And I'm thinking the time that you felt really jealous of how your father seemed to love Haiti and loved the people and, and his work more than he loved his family. And then later on, coming full circle, you have gone back to Haiti quite a few times since you've left. And so you're getting ready to leave, and you have your own sons, and they're saying, 
Well, Mom, why are you going off? And so you have something to say about that. And, you know, there'd be times when I'd come down from my writing studio of having been almost time traveling back into this place where there was this heavy sorrow that I was holding within me and trying to get down on the page and the, and the weight of injustice and this world where resources are not distributed equally. And I'd be so heavy with all of that and the writing, which is slow and um, repetitive. And I'd come down from my studio and try to just re-enter ordinary life. And my kids want to tell me about the game they played at recess and this book that they read. And I would be so far away that I couldn't laugh. And I remember them. And it was so ironic because I was literally working on the chapter about T. Marcel, the little girl I was so jealous of when I was eight or nine and whose face is on the cover. And I was working on that chapter and I came down and my sons reflected back to me that I was not paying attention to them. And I knew because my head was in this book and all this old sorrow that I was still carrying. And I just thought, I thought I wasn't going to repeat any of my father's mistakes. <laughs> and here I am. This is me carrying this weight in a way that's not healthy. I too need to learn how to carry this in a way that I don't give those same questions to my children. Do I matter? Yes, there it is. There it is. The way that you described it in the book, you were helping your son see the joy you have in Haiti. And in listening to people's stories. For me, it's so exciting to be able to talk with people and hear their stories. And I was saying to him, look, and he was, I don't remember, four or five at the time, and he's still this way. Planets, stars, the solar system, multiverse, it's so enthralling to him. And I was saying, darling, it's the same. When you get so excited about all of those things, I get excited about hearing people's stories, and Daddy gets excited about another thing, and your brother gets excited about another thing, and Grandpa Johnny, it's trees. Like, we each have a thing that we love that we can talk and talk, or maybe many things that we can talk and talk about. And we can love those things and love each other. We just have to remind ourselves of that. How did he accept that? He said, okay, tell me about when I was small. <laughs> and so I told him this long story of how I'd taken him to the Shakespeare play when he was so tiny, still in a sling, less than a year old. And I didn't realize it was going to be this three-hour play. So I was trying to rock him to sleep while listening. It was at the Globe Theater. We had just moved to London. I was standing. <laughs> and somehow that story of what he and I had lived together was this reminder to him that I am his mother. He is my son, just as I am still, in spite of everything, my father's daughter. Oh, wow. Thank you so much. There's so much more we can talk about, and we've just touched in just a, a little part of writing a memoir. And I thank you so much, Apricot, for being with us on the New Dimensions Cafe today. Thank you for the invitation and this beautiful conversation. Thank you. I've been speaking with Apricot Irving. She is the author of the memoir, The Gospel of Trees. And if you want more information about her, you can go to her website, apricotirving.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Thompson. I want to thank you for joining us at the New Dimensions Cafe, and I invite you, please do join us again. You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe. This series of shorter interviews features many of the remarkable guests also featured on our internationally syndicated one-hour New Dimensions radio series. To access more than a thousand hours of programs, 
to subscribe to our newsletters, or to become a member, please visit us at newdimensions.org. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support.